Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, all things Dominic Dunn, where it really does all connect. This week, we continue our investigation with Robert Evans making his way into conquering the 1970s. This episode is action-packed. We have a few famous films, including Love Story, The Godfather, and The Great Gatsby. We have two more wives coming and going to, and so many spider webs to drop. A few mentions here, Ryan O'Neill, Robert Redford, and even a Princess Margaret story too. Before we begin our episode today, I do have a few shout outs to give. First up, huge thanks and praise to the newest supporters over on Patreon, Crystal S, Leanne, BC, Marita, SC, and Stella P. Holy cats, y'all are the best. Thank you for your support. Thank you to all our Patreon folks getting ad-free early episodes, as well as not done yet bonus episodes where we take the investigation a little further. Last week on Not Done Yet, we discovered what Dominic Dunn had to say about the Manson murders. Patreon.com slash Dunn and Done is the place to go find out more information about all those goodies. One other shout out, Rachel O. Thank you for the goodies from Rough Point, the Newport home of Doris Duke. I loved them. I adore you. Rachel knows what's up. We will be coming back to Newport one fine day in the future to talk about its most notorious heiress of all, Doris Duke. You rock, Rachel. What a treat. So many special folks out there, you being one of them. Thanks for tuning in today as we take the kid through the 1970s And again, strong language in this one. Would you expect anything less from Robert Evans? Let's investigate. Oh, friends, we're going to begin our story today with Love Story, a little film, and Ali McGraw, Robert Evans's third wife. There is so much to unpack here. Love Story started out as a screenplay written by Eric Siegel. See, Eric took a little sabbatical back in 1968, and he was hanging around Harvard University for a little while with Two guys that will become the basis for Oliver, the male lead in Love Story. Those two running buddies, former Vice President Al Gore and his Harvard roommate, Tommy Lee Jones. Al Gore, his inspiration, lands with Oliver's family. The Tommy Lee Jones part is the physical appearance of the character, From Siegel himself, he confirms this in 1997, explaining that, quote, only the emotional family baggage of the romantic hero was inspired by a young Al Gore, but it was Gore's Harvard roommate, Tommy Lee Jones, who inspired the half of the character that was a sensitive stud, a macho athlete with the heart of a poet, unquote. Tommy Lee Jones will have a small part in the film love story, 
as the romantic hero's roommate. This is also the first film role of Tommy Lee Jones. Eric Siegel had written the script as a screenplay, and Ali McGraw loved it. Now, Ali McGraw is just bopping into the Hollywood scene. She has one picture, Goodbye Columbus. She's just beginning her acting chops. The thing about Ali McGraw, before she acts, she models, but before that, Ali McGraw worked at Harper's Bazaar as a photographic assistant to their editor-in-chief, Diana Vreeland. Those early 1960 days are over, though, for Allie, and now she's acting, and she is in love with a little story called Love Story. Allie McGraw is its champion, and Allie wants to star in it. It had been turned down by every Hollywood studio when Allie's agent took the screenplay to Robert Evans. Robert Evans initially didn't want to make it either. He thought it was overly sentimental, but as his relationship with Ally McGraw grew, so did Robert Evans's belief in the film. So, now that Evans was on board, he had to get Charlie Bluedorn to agree and then find someone willing to direct it. This was easier said than done. Robert Evans thought he had found a director in Larry Pierce, who was in desperate need of a job. Larry Pierce called the film a quote-unquote piece of shit, but agreed to direct it anyway. After working together on some pre-production projects, Larry Pierce came to Robert Evans and said, I can't be a hooker, Evans. I wake up in the morning, look at myself in the mirror, and I don't like what I see. No matter how you put it in the mixer, it comes out shit. I'm passing. I'd rather do daytime soaps. At least no one will know I'm doing it. You want a fucker, right? That's why you're making it? Robert Evans said the thought had never entered his mind, but then realized that perhaps Pierce may be right. See, Robert Evans and Ally McGraw had met a few years earlier, and their initial meeting had not gone well. Evans thought that McGraw was a spoiled brat and didn't like her. But now, Robert Evans is perhaps thinking that he needs to make sure that he's agreeing to do the film for the right reasons. So, Robert sends a script to Stanley Jaff, Charlie Bluedorn, and Marty Davis to get their opinions on Love Story. Within 48 hours, Charlie and Stanley both admitted that the story had really gotten to them and had even made them cry. Robert Evans told them, if I can get a tear from you, that's the picture I want to see on the screen. The next director Robert Evans hired was Tony Harvey, who had just made The Lion in Winter the previous year. Convinced by the idea that Ally McGraw was in the project, Tony Harvey agreed to direct. However, after a few weeks, he walked off the set, too. Skeptical now about the potential success of the project, the executives at Gulf and Western told Evans to move forward with the film, but that he had a strict budget of $2 million, no more, and was then told anything over that $2 million would come from Robert Evans's own pocket. 
Robert Evans sets up a lunch with Ali McGraw to discuss the project, which Robert Evans is now not sold on either. Unlike his previous experience with Ali McGraw, this time Robert Evans was charmed by her. Robert Evans writes, By the time dessert was served, I would have made the phone book with her. What do you say she got to me? I sure as hell knew I didn't get to her. With all my props, my position, my boy wonder reputation, she was as turned off to me as I was turned on to her. At this meeting, Ali McGraw was currently living with a model and actor, and Ali kept rubbing it in how in love she was. Just as Evans was hailing a cab, she twisted the knife in his heart by saying, I hope we shoot in the summer. Robin and I are getting married in the fall. We plan to spend October in Venice. Ever been there? Nope, said Evans. Then wait. Only go there when you're madly in love, Allie McGraw says. Robert Evans takes her arm and whispers, Never plan, kid. Planning's for the poor. An hour ago, love story was even money to end up in the shredder. You win, I lose. Got it? Stop being Miss Inverse Snob, will ya? It doesn't wear well. Don't turn your nose down to success. If anything goes wrong with you and Blondie between now and post time, I'm seven digits away. Before she could say anything, Robert Evans got in the taxi and left. Allie McGraw did not call Robert Evans. Now as casting for Love Story the Film begins, the first eight actors, eight, yes, you heard that right, that Robert Evans tried to convince to play the lead role all turned them down. All eight of those actors turned it down to make other films. Each one of those other films they turned Love Story down for turned out to be absolute disasters. Robert Evans writes, any one of them brilliant eight would have become fuck you rich, making this piece of shit. But no one could see its potential then. Remember that it would go on to be nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Actor and Best Actress. Are you curious to know who those brilliant eight were? This is quite a list. Michael Douglas, Michael York, Michael Sarazen, John Voight, Bo and Jeff Bridges, Peter Fonda, and Keith Carradine. Now, at this point, the relationship between Robert Evans and Ally McGraw was bumpy. Another run-in between the two regarding Robert Evans' choice of director caused him to go right back to his previous feelings about the actress Allie's agent got her to agree to watch another film that Arthur Hiller had directed and then decide if she would work with him. So Robert Evans went to the Beverly Hills Hotel to pick Allie McGraw up and bring her back to the screening room at Woodland. When Allie McGraw gets out of the car at Robert Evans' estate, she says, I feel like I'm walking through my own private park in Paris. Robert Evans, though, is still angry. He will write that he thought to himself, fuck her and her snobbery. Let her look at the flick and get the fuck out. But that is not what happened. 
In fact, they never even watched the film. Robert Evans opened a bottle of champagne and they were served beluga caviar. And before he knew it, Ali McGraw had jumped into his pool, totally clothed. Instead of coming to Los Angeles for an overnight trip, just to approve Arthur Hiller as the director, Ali McGraw ended up staying and the two fell in love. Robert Evans writes, For a bohemian, she sure as hell became comfortable very quickly, living behind closed gates with 2,000 rose bushes, surrounded by gardenias, daisies, you name it. She was a flower child, all right, but now they were hers. On day three, Allie McGraw tells Robert Evans that, you know, honestly, she didn't even need to see Hiller's film. She trusted Robert's judgment. But she did want to discuss who was going to play the lead male role, Oliver. Robert Evans informed Allie McGraw that many other actors had already turned it down. We have the aforementioned Brilliant Eight. After that, they tested Christopher Walken, David Burney, Ken Howard, among many others. When none of the other screen tests worked, an agent friend of Robert's convinced him to test Ryan O'Neill. Now, at this point, the director, Arthur Hiller, objects because the only thing Ryan O'Neill was known for was his five years on the soap opera Peyton Place. Robert Evans reminded Hiller that they weren't making a film adaptation of the Bible. Love Story was, in fact, also a soap opera. Ryan O'Neill tested for the part. Everyone agreed his screen test and chemistry with Ally McGraw worked. And the soap opera heartthrob was now on his way to becoming a full-fledged movie star. As for the relationship between Robert Evans and Allie McGraw, on October 24, 1969, the two married in front of a $2 judge in Palm Springs with three witnesses, Robert Evans's butler, his housekeeper, and his brother. They all celebrated by drinking Dom Perignon on the courthouse lawn. Allie and Robert then enjoyed a two-day honeymoon in Palm Springs, where they stayed at the home of Donna Reed. A little bit about this home in Palm Springs while we're here. Donna Reed, the star of the Donna Reed Show from 1958 to 1966, among many other credits, owned this home from 1966 to 1970. It went on the market in November of 2022 for about $4.2 million. It sits on three-quarters of an acre of land in the exclusive gated community of Old Las Palmas. The home is five bedrooms, coming in about 4,400 square feet, built in the California Monterey style with a two-story main house and a detached two-bedroom guest home. After this quick honeymoon, our newlyweds return back to Woodland to immediately take the red eye with the Love Story crew to begin filming in New York City as well as Harvard's campus in Cambridge, Massachusetts. In January of 1970, Love Story wrapped and Ali McGraw moved into Woodland, this time as Mrs. Evans. Robert Evans didn't think he could be any happier. 
he writes of his new bride. Her lethal embrace, her extraordinary affection, love, affirmation, fetching femininity, caress to family and friends, gave me an adrenaline I never thought I had, to break barriers I never thought could be broken. Few people ever touch Camelot in their lives. Was it a dream? When Love Story premiered in New York City on December 16, 1970, it became a phenomenon. Love Story didn't open. It exploded, writes Bob Evans. Now is a fantastic time to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a little Christmas miracle for Charlie Bluedorn, a trashy story about Ryan O'Neill, <laughs> and a little anecdote about Princess Margaret. Back in a moment. What was that line? Love story didn't open, it exploded. That is entirely true. Robert Evans encouraged Eric Siegel to write the screenplay into a book, into a novel, which Siegel did, which was a bestseller. It was a very clever campaign that really did work out. Love story, huge phenomenon. Charlie Bluedorn naturally is ecstatic. And it was not an exaggeration to say that love story saved Paramount. Evans, Jaff, and Bluedorn would drive from theater to theater and stand behind the last row. It felt like magic to see the audience's reaction to the final scene. Charlie Bluedorn couldn't get enough of it. To celebrate their triumph and to honor the executive who believed in him and the film. Robert Evans arranges a really special gesture for Charlie Bluedorn. The premiere was eight days before Christmas Eve, and Robert Evans had a crew spend 12 hours a night for those eight nights straight rearranging the Venetian blinds on the 12 floors of the new Gulf and Western building. Robert Evans offers to walk Charlie home one night, and he runs to the phone and tells the person on the other end, count to 100, then pull the switch. Out on the New York City street, snow was falling, and Robert Evans pointed for Charlie to look across the street at the new Gulf and Western building, 12 stories high, magically backlit. The Venetian blinds lit up the building with the words, Love Story. Robert Evans writes, There he stood, the industrial magnate, seeing Santa Claus for the first time. Tears began rolling down his face. He looked at me, hardly audible, he mumbled, America. Imagine, 12 years ago, I was walking the streets selling typewriters door to door. That's my building. Robert Evans said, From me to you, Charlie, the miracle on 59th Street. Robert Evans writes, There we stood, tycoon and dreamer, Two men standing on 59th Street and 5th Avenue, heavy snow all but covering us, living out what Christmas is all about. The film Love Story, <laughs> phenomenon, it grosses $174 million, which would be about $1.3 in today's money. Love Story is still one of the highest grossing films of all time. 
with the passing of Ryan O'Neill recently. I do want to share this one story. We have covered his story over on Trashy Divorces. And when I reveal the story that I'm about to share with you, do know that Ryan O'Neill and Allie McGraw made up after this. But wowza, that guy was always a pretty big jerk. When Love Story opened, Allie McGraw was seven months pregnant. Her obstetrician advised her not to travel to New York for the premiere. But Allie and Robert Evans did not listen to that warning, and Allie McGraw went. There was an army of policemen to keep the crowds from swarming her. And as we already know, the crowds loved it. After the premiere, there was a post-premiere party at the Hippopotamus Club. Robert Evans writes, I felt like Casanova, the most extraordinary lady in the world on my arm, and in her belly, a little Evans-to-be. Ryan O'Neill came over to Robert Evans and said, I know if it weren't for you, I wouldn't have gotten the part. I owe you my career, pal, and then hugged him. Allie then grabs Robert Evans's arm and whispers, I'm starting to hemorrhage, Evans. They rushed into the waiting limousine, and within seven minutes, they were at Doctor's Hospital. Robert Evans writes, suddenly a night of triumph had turned into a night of terror. Later in the evening, a doctor came into the corridor to speak to Evans. Before he could say a word, Robert Evans started crying. The doctor said, Allie will be okay. The baby? I don't know. Robert Evans started to shake and hyperventilate. The doctor thought he was going to have a seizure and grabbed him and slapped him and then said, Snap out of it. You've got to be strong. Strong for her. But Robert Evans was unable to find strength in that moment from the guilt and the self-contempt he was feeling about bringing Allie to New York after her doctor in Los Angeles had warned against it. A few hours later, the doctor told Evans that unless her bleeding stopped, Allie would have to have a premature cesarean section. And since the baby was only at about seven months of gestation, he or she would likely not make it. Robert's secretary showed up, and it snapped him back to reality. He said to her, call Ryan at the Warwick. Fill him in on Allie's condition. Tell him he'll have to cover for her at the premiere. Sumner Redstone, Paramount's biggest customer, is giving a charity premiere honoring Harvard University at the theater in Boston. The secretary returns a few minutes later saying, Mr. Evans, I just spoke with Mr. O'Neill. He says he won't go unless Allie goes. Robert Evans screamed, Is he crazy? Does he know the shape she's in? She could die. With a quivering voice, his secretary said, I I told him that, Mr. Evans. Get him on the phone, Evans demands. Hoping it was just a misunderstanding, Robert Evans tried to control his temper. Ryan, it's not good. Allie is in bad shape. The kid may not make it. Cover for me, will ya? Evans says in a shaky and emotional voice. There was silence for a moment, and then Ryan O'Neill said, If she goes, I go. Otherwise, I stay. Robert Evans writes, For an instant, I thought it was the devil himself paying me back. 
Less than 12 hours earlier, the same guy was telling me how he owed his career to me. Taking a deep breath, Robert Evans says, Ryan, maybe you didn't hear me right. Allie, she's in bad shape, real bad. Then Robert begins to cry. She could lose the baby, you hear me? O'Neill replies, I heard you. If she doesn't go, I don't go, got it? Hey, I don't own any of the movie, but she does. And then Ryan O'Neill hung up on Robert Evans. If there is any way that Ryan O'Neill could have been any more of a colossal prat, I don't know how. O'Neill never sends flowers. He never calls to see if the baby survived. Happily, both Allie McGraw and their baby ended up being just fine. Joshua Evans was born healthy on January 16, 1971. Got one more little story here. In my trashiest heart of heart shell, I am a fan of Princess Margaret. I am fascinated by her and her life. This one was just too delicious not to include. There's an incident (laughs) that happens with Robert Evans and Princess Margaret. So one thing we know, one personality trait of Robert Evans that we can always count on was his vulgarity. He didn't really care who he was talking to and One of the times he was infamously profane was with Her Royal Highness, Princess Margaret. In 1970, Robert Evans and Allie McGraw were being presented to the Queen Mother and Princess Margaret in London. This was right after Love Story had been released and was receiving incredible reviews in addition to box office sales. Love Story will go on to become one of the highest-grossing films of all time. It's still ranked in the top 10 romantic movies by the American Film Institute. When it was Evans's turn in the receiving line, Princess Margaret took his hand and looked at him and said, Tony, Lord Snowden, saw Love Story in New York. Evans was most likely waiting to hear a compliment as the next bit of that sentence about his recent smash hit. But Princess Margaret finished her statement with, He hated it. (laughs) In classic Robert Evans style, he said, Fuck you too, smiling back at her. Goodness, I will always get in a Princess Margaret story when I can. When we come back after a quick break, We're going to talk about the fallout of what happens after Love's story, the end of Allie McGraw. Robert Redford is going to be in that mix, as well as one more marriage and divorce for Robert Evans. Back in just a moment, friends. The marriage of Robert Evans and Allie McGraw will not last. To be fair, it is the longest marriage that Robert Evans has, but soon after Love's story, he begins to get deeply immersed in the production of The Godfather. Ali McGraw takes the lead role in a film called The Getaway, co-starring Steve McQueen. Now, Ali McGraw had wanted to play the role of Daisy in The Great Gatsby, but Evans felt the role in The Getaway was better suited to her and would broaden her acting range. 
Evans at this point is completely distracted by the Godfather and did not seem to notice or care what was happening on the set of The Getaway. Very soon after filming on The Getaway began, Ally McGraw started having an affair with Steve McQueen. While Robert Evans was ignoring his wife and marriage by putting all of his efforts into work, Ally McGraw had fallen in love with her co-star. Oh, it is a Hollywood tale as old as time. Ally McGraw accompanied him to the premiere of The Godfather, and here Robert Evans claims that he had one of the most magical and memorable evenings of his life. He felt like he was on top of the world. But alas, it would be soon afterward that Robert Evans learns of Allie's affair and realizes it has been going on for months. Robert Evans will take responsibility for the end of their marriage. He will say he had left her alone so often and neglected her, not for other women, but for Paramount Studios and his first love, his work. I'm a failure in many ways as a man, he confesses, because of my obsession with what I do. In a, what seems like a very bizarre friendship match, Robert Evans was good friends with Henry Kissinger. When Ally McGraw leaves Robert Evans, Henry Kissinger offers to help get her back. <laughs> Kissinger tells Robert Evans, if I can negotiate with the North Vietnamese, I think I can smooth the way with Allie. Robert Evans replies, Henry, you know countries, but you don't know women. When it's over, it's over. But Robert Evans always regretted losing Allie McGraw. In 1998, he will tell the New York Post's Cindy Adams, If I had to do it all over, I'd still be with Allie. It was my ego. Allie warned me, I'm a hot lady, never leave me for more than two weeks. Well, I left her for four months, so she left me for Steve McQueen. I want to reveal just a little bit more here. Allie McGraw and Robert Evans remained close throughout his lifetime. They do share a child, Josh, who has gone on to act and write and produce and direct. Both Allie McGraw and Joshua Evans were with Robert when he received his own star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Now, while we're here in the 1970s, let's circle back to just a few more associated connected stories. We just mentioned The Godfather. Robert Evans was really into making that film based on the book by Maurice Puzo, who co-wrote the screenplay with Francis Ford Coppola. The thing I want you to know is that Al Pacino got noticed and into his role in The Godfather from Al Pacino's breakout performance in film, which happened the year before in 1971 in a little film called The Panic in Needle Park. Oh my, we are going to be talking about this film in much more detail. But the thing I want you to know now... <laughs> is that the executive producer of The Panic in Needle Park is our man, Dominic Dunn. Panic in Needle Park, the film, was co-written by Dominic's brother and sister-in-law, John Gregory Dunn and Joan Didion. The Panic in Needle Park is about heroin addicts and was sold to the studios with the line, 
Romeo and Juliet on junk. Dominic Dunn discovers both Al Pacino and his co-star Kitty Wynn. Again, much more to come on this, but a little bit of a spiderweb for you about how Al Pacino is discovered. It's through our man Nick. Diane Keaton also stars in that film. Dominic Dunn interviewed her many moons ago, and it is the lovely Diane Keaton herself that we are going to investigate a little further in our Not Done Yet bonus this week over on Patreon. Patreon folks, stay tuned for that coming for you midweek. Another film that we mentioned previously, The Great Gatsby. Can you imagine how much Robert Evans must be loving his Irving Thalberg dream come true, bringing The Great Gatsby to life in 1974? No, it's not F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Last Tycoon, but The Great Gatsby is a Fitzgerald novel, and that had to feel pretty good. The Great Gatsby screenplay was also co-written along with F. Scott Fitzgerald, again by Francis Ford Coppola. So here in 1974, divorced from Ally McGraw, Robert Evans was at the height of his success and power in Hollywood. And for The Great Gatsby, he didn't choose Allie for a role in that film either. The ethereal Daisy Buchanan was portrayed by Mia Farrow, with Robert Redford cast in the role of Jay Gatsby. If you have not read The Great Gatsby since maybe your required reading in high school, you might actually be shocked upon a rereading. Holy cats, is it trashy. I was a little bit horrified as an adult that they gave this to 8th <laughs> and ninth graders. I do have a description here from Rotten Tomatoes about the film if anybody needs a little refresher on The Great Gatsby. Nick Carraway, portrayed by Sam Waterston, is a young man from the Midwest living modestly among the decadent mansions of 1920s Long Island. He becomes involved in the life of the mysterious Jay Gatsby, played by Robert Redford, a rich man who throws the most lavish parties on the island. But behind Gatsby's outgoing demeanor is a lonely man who wants nothing more than to be with his old love, Daisy, played by Mia Farrow. She is married to the bullheaded Tom, who is played by Bruce Dern, creating a love triangle that will end in tragedy. No lies detected. The Great Gatsby is abject. Tragedy, tragedy, tragedy all around. Okay, so here's a little bit of a story as it concerns Robert Redford. Because Robert Redford and Robert Evans have a huge feud for many, many years that happens around The Great Gatsby. Robert Redford gets the part of Jay Gatsby after every single one of the better picks, Robert Evans's top picks for that role, have turned it down. Robert Evans stipulated that Robert Redford had to come to the New York film premiere. No questions about it. It's part of the contract, dude. Gotta do it. And when Robert Redford saw the final cut of the film, he didn't like it and decided to instead skip the premiere to go to a New York Knicks game at Madison Square Garden instead. 
Not only was Robert Redford breaking his contractual agreement to attend, but he was doing it in a very public way as Robert Redford walks by the (laughs) premiere event of The Great Gatsby in blue jeans on his way to Madison Square Garden. This was captured by the press. Understandably, this makes Robert Evans a little mad, more than a little mad. So a few months later, Robert Evans was a guest lecturer to a college class when he was asked who he thought were the sexiest actors in Hollywood. Robert Evans said Al Pacino and Jack Nicholson. When asked why he didn't mention Robert Redford, Robert Evans describes Redford as being too polished and too pretty to be sexy. Evans said, I think when he kisses a girl, I think he thinks he's kissing himself. He's so perfectly made up and precise. As vulgar things that Robert Evans says, that's not even the worst one in this episode. And my guess is that Robert Evans probably didn't ever care if that got back to Robert Redford, but there was a reporter from People Magazine who happened to be in the audience of Robert Evans' time as a guest lecturer and published Robert Evans' statement. This particular statement led to a years-long feud between the actor and the producer. One more thing here that happens to the kid in the 1970s that I want to drop in is one more marriage as well as one more divorce. Robert Evans said I do for the fourth time to former Miss America Phyllis George in 1977. Phyllis George had recently made history in 1975 as a pioneer in female sports casting with her role on CBS Sports. The pair were an odd match, and later Robert Evans would say of Phyllis George, Square? Let's just say she made Mary Tyler Moore look like Madonna. Ego was what motivated my perversity in wanting to make Miss America Miss Evans. They divorced one year later in 1978. Phyllis George would later become the first lady of the state of Kentucky as the wife of John Young Brown, who served as Kentucky's governor from 1979 to 1983. Goodness, where we go in this journey of ours here on Done and Done. That is going to take Robert Evans through two more wives conquering the 1970s, We are going to be back next week to get into the true crime segment of this particular Robert Evans story. I invite you to join me back on our next Dunday for that episode. And if you're looking for more Done and Done in the meantime, patreon.com slash done and done is the place to go. Big thanks to you for coming to listen, for telling your friends about Done and Done, for your kind emails and ratings, and reviews, and your support on Patreon. Y'all are simply the best. Until we meet again, friends, stay curious. Keep on investigating. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. 
You can follow us on Instagram at Done and Done Podcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.